church hall, and I think we've got some kiddies in church this morning, so we've changed our pitch a little bit, so it's very useful for, hopefully communicate for children as well, and uh, we will pray for Pastor Ron, but also would like to pay, pray for Jim Graham this morning too. He's beginning to worry me, he's losing far too much weight, and he's showing me up, and uh, so I'd love to pray for Jim this morning. So Jim, would you mind coming forward? Maybe if the ministry team could just gather around you, because uh, we shall call for the elders of the house, and a prayer of faith shall make the sick person well. So we're going to pray for Jim, we're going to pray for uh, Pastor Ron as well, and uh, thank you Leonard, come, Val if you're here, it'd be great, because we want to just see a breakthrough in this area. And also, as we pray, we're also going to move into praying for the situation for Jeff and Sue Smith, who minister in uh, Pakistan. And uh, you might have been seeing on the movies this week, or on the movies on the TV, there's been this um, movie put out that's been derogative to the prophet, and that's causing incredible trauma uh, right around the Islamic world. We even saw it in Sydney last week. And of course, that's right in the, um, that's right where uh, Jeff and Sue live. So they are kept alive by prayer, that team. So we want to pray for them as well. So thank you. Um, Steve Bolt, could you just lead? Just reach your hands right now towards uh, Jim. We're going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you that you are our healer. Yes, Jesus. Lord God, that healing is absolutely part of the marvellous package that you That's have right. delivered to us, Lord Jesus. And Father, now, as we pray and agree together, Lord, yes, Lord. as to this thing, that you touch our brother now. Yes, Jesus. Lord God, we pray that the, the power of the Holy Spirit mm. and the healing anointing of God will flow through him now. And that we will see him have marked improvement, Father, in his health, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, we ask for healing. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray for the others that have been brought forward for Sue and Jeff, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Lord God, we just see such evil and disruption of these times, Lord God. And, and we know these things are foretold. But Father, we ask for your protection to continue around them. Lord God, we just thank you for the way that you're blessing their ministry. Lord, we ask, yes, Lord, that Lord. you will just increase what they do, Father, rather than it be stopped or impeded, but, Father, that it increase, move faster yes, Jesus. to the ends that you intend. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Yes, Lord. Praise your name. Amen. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes. Thank you, Lord. And, uh, Leonard, could you just pray for Pastor Ron, please? Marvelous, Jesus. Lord, we just thank you that you are the God that heals, do we not? Yes, Lord. And we just pray for Ron, Lord. We thank you that he's been a servant to this house, Lord. And Lord, uh, we just pray, Lord, that you'd bless him today, Lord, that he would strengthen, that you would strengthen his mortal body, Lord, that he would see, Lord, your face and that he would be glad, Lord. Lord, we just thank you so much for the influence he's been on our yes, lives, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Lord, we just ask today, Lord, that you would touch his life. Yes, Lord. You, Lord. Fill him with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Yes, Let him Jesus. have a smile on his face, Lord, and joy yeah, in his heart, Lord. We thank Lord, you for Lord, him Lord, and we ask you to bless him in the mighty name of Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. And everybody agreed together and said, Amen. Amen. Amen.
God bless you. Just take a couple of minutes. Why don't you go give the stranger a hug in the name of Jesus? We're, of course, going to be away this weekend on a family camp. And uh, I have ambivalent feelings about that because there was a, a good part of me who thought it would be wonderful for us to be away somewhere. And uh, out there now, I'm looking at the weather today and uh, chasing a ball around, getting some fellowship and stuff. So it's still something we'd really like to do. I think one of the great challenges of the church of today is uh, how do you generate, how do you actually create genuine Christian community? Uh, I've come to really realize that just coming to a church on a Sunday for, you know, an hour and a half doesn't necessarily create community. And uh, you can be just as much as a stranger in a church as you can be, you know, on riding the, the train up to uh, Perth on a, on a weekday. And ultimately, our role is to actually love on God and love on each other. And you really can't love people with quality and with sincerity if you don't have a real relationship with them. Amen? Yes, you've got to know people, know where they come from, know their address. And it's always easy to love the easy people, isn't it? I mean, you guys are so easy to love, aren't you? I mean, who wouldn't want to love you guys? I don't know, there's a little bit of nervous laughter there. Don't make me laugh. If I laugh, I'll cough, but... uh, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to love us guys? Um, but it's not always easy to love the unlovables. And yeah, that's really an essential part of what it is to understand what this wonderful life God's called us into. How to receive the love of God and then to allow that love of God to actually flow into me and then through me into the lives of others. I don't know about you, but before I came to Christ, I was a very unlovable person very unlovable and if you'd seen me walking down one side of the road 
if you're a smart person, you would have probably crossed the other side of the road to avoid me. Because I carried, you know, that sort of uh, rebel persona on my body. I wasn't a pleasant person. And uh, now I've been saved. And God's been working on me together with my wife's assistance and the Holy Spirit. I'm almost... I, I'm, I, I'm, almost I'm almost pleasant now, you know. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. And, you know, the other thing is I grew up in a family where... Look, I, 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 I really can't articulate it well, but I grew up, I grew up as a stranger in my own family. I knew who my dad was, I knew who my mum was, but dad was a highly narcissistic personality. Mum had mental disorders. Um, I had a sister who was born 11 months after me, so we were immediately in conflict with each other and rivals. And she was almost always better than me, so... Seen about the only way I could ever relate to my sister was with a fist, or, you know, and, and then I'd get, then I'd get corporal punishment for arguing with my sister. No, you would never do that. You, you'd never have those sorts of problems. So I grew up a Charlie Brown, you know, a lonely person, a lonely family. My father was a school teacher, so we spent most of my formative years driving across the uh, southwest land division of this state into little small towns where you were always the outsider in a country town in Western Australia. You could be there for three generations, you'd still be the new boy. But, you know, if you're a banky or you're a railway worker or you're a teacher kid, you know, people know that you're there for two years maximum. And so you move in there, you live in the school ground, your dad's your school teacher, your principal, and it doesn't make for great relationships in the town. So, you know, I grew up, I, I didn't ex- succeed at anything, but hardly read or write. And so then, you know, I came to the situation where our family slot blew up in our face and mum and dad divorced and there was attempted suicide by my mum and my father's um, way for ladies slot became a little bit more known to me. My world fell apart and I left home and all the rest. But, and if you'd asked me, Mike, can you remember any time particularly of your father ever saying, I love you, Mike, or taking you and putting him on your knee and telling you a story or something like that. I would say I have no memory of that ever happening. Maybe it did, but I have no memory of that. And, uh, and my relationship with my mum, I, I think I love her dearly, but it's very problematic with my mother because she's such an um, extraordinary personality. So when I sort of got to a certain age, I came to a realisation. I, I, I can now talk about it now, but back then, I actually did not know what love was. Had no idea what love was. Uh, I thought love was to try and have as sex with as many girls as possible. I thought that what that was love was. Um, and my ability to emote or to give love was also incredibly impacted by this, under, this, this background that I had. I had no real training in it. I didn't really know what it was. I didn't know what safe love was or what love was. And then one of the great things that happened to me is that I met Jesus Christ. Absolutely revolutionary. And, you know, a lifestyle of destruction was turned around instantly. Look, and I'm honest with my life. It took time for all that to fall off me. But I had a change. Literally... I was a different person. It, it, it actually freaked some people out. 
because I left, went, I went back to school late in life, and on a Friday, I left as a rebel. On Sunday, I came back as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian speaking in tongues. And my, my girlfriend at that time, who we were, we were slight, you know, we were engaged to be married, that type deal, because we had the friendship ring, we'd known each other for a few years, and all that sort of stuff. She, she literally went into fear. Because this, I don't know this person. Are you, you know, are you the twin brother that you know Mike's had hidden away? You know the evil Mike's had hidden away for a while. Absolutely, t- you know, terrified, and other people just didn't understand. But you know what? Ha- one of the things that really happened to me was one, the incredible sense of forgiveness, and the lift of the burden of sin and selfishness. I mean, I, I tell you, I grew six foot when saying, "Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done." It was just one of the most amazing things I, I could ever describe. And I've never, I've never gone back, never gone back, never wanted to go back. But the other great thing that happened is love entered into my kidding. The love of God. And 1 John says that, you know, we can love God because he first loved us. And this is a wonderful thing that even when you and I were away from God, we were doing our own thing, we were rebels, Whatever our deal might have been, here's the great news. God loves you. And he loved me. And he loved us wonderfully so. And out of that revelation that I've received love, that I've always been loved, then I can take the risk of loving others. And I think one of the incredible things I'm thankful to God to personally is that it's given me the ability, hopefully, that my kids will always know that they're loved. I mean, obviously, they've got the worst parents in the world, but, <laughs> but I think they know that they're loved by their mum and their dad. A number of years ago, there was a little movie put out uh, called Lilo and Stitch. Anyone remember Lilo and Stitch? Oh, it's a great little movie. Stitch is a short, toothy little alien creature. He has terrible manners, he slobbles and growls continually and his, genetically, um, his genetic instinct is to destroy everything he gets a hand on. He's a two-year-old. <laughs> Although he's no bigger than the average dog, Stitch can lift several times his own weight and uh, he breaks everything he touches. Stitch is Disney's incarnation of our Tasmanian devil, only he's blue. He comes from outer space, he's a product of genetic experimentation gone horribly and comically wrong. In the movie, this alien escapes his own planet only to crash land into a dog pound in Hawaii. There begins the plot. There's a little girl named Lilo who falls for him and adopts him as her pet. But you see, Lilo herself is a bit out of the ordinary. She's a rough and tumble girl. She lives with her older sister because her parents died in a car accident. And so Lilo and Stitch are a lot alike. And maybe that's what brings their bond together. The girls soon realize that this uh, blue little puppy dog's not the same as any other canine. And they take him to a restaurant and he tries to eat one of the other patrons. <laughs> After the time, he destroys everything. He gets a blender and the blender goes wild. I have done that. No, they, they should come with instructions, these things. Not that boys ever read the instructions, but, you know, it's very important you put the lid on before you push the button, I can tell you. 
I have been there. So anyway, he's, 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 he's done the bad thing. So if you remember, this is the new puppy that's come home. You expect the bub- puppy to eat a few slippers and you know, leave a few little landmines here and there on the carpet and stuff. But this puppy's really done the bad thing. He's wrecked the kitchen. And so the older sister's saying, that dog's got to go. And little Lido says, Ohana. It's that Hawaiian expression for family. Ohana means family. And she says, well, instead of listening to me, uh, we'll throw you to a short video clip. This is for the kiddies. All the big kiddies, you can ignore it. means family. Family means nobody gets left behind. Or forgotten. Yeah. Hey, Jumper Kagabit! Was that it? I thought I had a hold of one, a longer one than that one. We've had some uh, technical hitches this morning, mainly me. And so Ahana means family, and they, they add that little byline to it that it also means that no one is left behind and no one is forgotten. And you see, in Hawaii, in the Hawaiian language, ohana means family. But in Christianity, church is meant to mean family. So when we talk about the church, we are meant to be saying family. And family means that no one gets left behind and that no one is forgotten. And, you know, that's one of the things I would love to see God continue to build within the life of our church is that we get really good at loving one another. Some of us are easy to love. Others are a bit more difficult. I think maybe it's just because of our demographic sometimes that we get all sorts of interesting people. You know, the other day in this church, I saw a man wearing a T-shirt. The whole thing just was up in lights all the time. I mean, that's, that's bananas. I mean, have you seen that? I know another guy thinks he can play saxophone. <laughs> I know another guy he actually thinks he can sing. <laughs> I know another guy he actually thinks he can tell really good jokes. Did you hear about the... Uh... <laughs> Did you hear about the Irish farmer won the Nobel Peace Prize? He was outstanding in his field. I mean, how bad is that? (laughs) That's a dad joke. That's a pastor's joke. But being family means no one gets left behind and no one is forgotten. And, you know, one of the things that I, uh, you know, as a pastor, you, you, you have to deal often with the fact that you're dealing with people at the point of death and sickness you deal with finality. Uh, last uh, week, we were blessed to have uh, Dr. Camille Majidali here, who's gotten an end times expert. Who, you know, you just, you know, if you got an ear to hear, you say, I love that guy for about 10 hours. You know, just, just one hour, all you can do is just, you know, skim the, skim the surface of it. And it's a bit like that thread Jason was talking about. You wouldn't want to pull one of those threads too much because it could take you to incredible places. But, you know, let's face it, the world is in uh, incredibly uh, traumatic conditions and the Middle East is only a little litmus test of 
what's happening. But our world may not be the way we think it's going to be for so much longer. And the thing I want us to do as a church is be really good at family, your personal family. You may not know how much longer we have the opportunity to do family. Um, life is temporary. And, you know, there was a time just in my our immediate family, there were a lot more people around the table, a lot closer to God than what they are now. And some have drifted. And some have now drifted now where you can't even have the conversation anymore about why have you drifted to where you are. And uh, most of what this world is about is, is, is so temporary. It's so small. And we will get eternity to live out the consequences of these sorts of things. John 14 verse 1 says, don't be troubled. I mean, this world, we are so troubled. And here's Jesus talking with his disciples at a very troubling time, amen? They're about to face amazing. He says, don't be troubled because trust in God, trust also in me. There's a better place than this. Don't fuss the small stuff. Don't get overly concerned. There's a better place than this. Trust me. I promise you, I'm going to make a place for you in this better place that we call heaven. And I think we've been able to salvage one of my other technical hitches now. So are we able to run that other video? If you haven't uh, read the little book yet, it's worth watching. But this is an interview of a kid. At the age of three years of age, died and went to heaven. So he's a three-year-old when this thing happens. Seem far away, but for one little boy, heaven is very real. Colton Burpo was just three years old when he got a sneak peek at what is to come. Take a look. How old are you today? Me. And what is your name? And where do you live? Nebraska. Who's your mommy? Sonia. Who's your daddy? Daddy, Coco. Who's your sister? Jackson. That was eight years ago. Looking at Colton now, you would have never guessed that he almost died in 2003. His father, Todd, tells about Colton's near-death experience in the book, Heaven is for Real. And he started throwing up into the toilet, you know, and uh, at first we're like, okay, he's got the stomach flu because the doctor said it was going around. Colton's condition only got worse as days passed. His doctor discovered his appendix had burst and infection was spreading in his body. Time was running out. And we knew we were in bad shape when they, they say, well, you need to come out to the hallway. They separated us from everyone else. And then someone came to us and started talking to us that uh, we got to have surgery on your kid. It was tough. Um, seeing your boy be lifeless when he was a very vibrant child. And it was at that moment that we were looking at each other. I remember my wife holding Colton in that hallway, just us. He's not even moving. We went to the surgery prep area, and I remember them hauling him away and him just yelling at me, Daddy, don't let him take me. Daddy, don't let him take me. And I went back to the, uh, uh, the pre-op room where we had left some stuff, and I was finally alone, shut the door, and I just broke down, and I was mad at God. I just frustrated, fed up. And I remember telling him, I said, God, after all I've done for you, 
And now you're going to take my kid? This is how you treat your pastors? You know, I was calling our prayer chain. I was calling anybody that would be on the other line to get Colton on the prayer chain because it was bad. We were there in the waiting room for an hour and a half, maybe. Then I remember the nurse coming out. Uh, is Colton's daddy out here? I'm like, yeah, well, Colton's a, a, a in recovery, and he's screaming for you. And I'm sitting there with him. And I remember my son in that room then looking at me and goes, Dad, do you know I almost died? And my first thought was, maybe you overheard the nurse say that, or maybe they thought he was under anesthesia, you know, and, and he wasn't. But it wasn't till four months after we got out of the hospital that we finally listened to our son. And that's where I got to see heaven. No, Jesus and some angels came and flew me up to heaven. And I said, so Colton, what did Jesus look like? I knew that the first person I saw was Jesus. He was wearing white robes with a purple sash. And he just came down nicely and gracefully. Well, Dad, Jesus has markers. Dad, Jesus has markers. I didn't know what he meant. So I finally asked the right question, Colton, where are Jesus' markers? And he drops his toys down, and he stands up, and he just points, Dad, they were right here. He takes his fingers, points to the palms, then he bends over and touches the tops of his feet and looks up to me. That's where Jesus' markers were, Dad. When I was in the throne room of God to start with, so I got to see what that looked like. I was upset because I didn't know what was happening. What God did is he used people that, people or things that I liked to calm me down. From there on, I felt better. And one day we're traveling together and he looks up at me and, Dad, you used to have a grandpa named Pop, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah, he's really nice. Really? Yeah, you used to play with him as a kid and fix work with him on the farm and, and shoot stuff with him. I'm like, yeah, how do you know that? Well, he told me. A figure came up, and he was Pop. He asked me, are you Todd's son? I said, yes. He said that he was his grandpa, so that's where I met him. Yeah, Pop, uh, I was very close to him, and he was my most significant male role model when I was a kid growing up. Kid, but He was killed in a car wreck before I turned seven. Um, I was busy paying bills again, because um, that's um, my job, and he came up and told me he had two sisters. Well, he had to say it several times before he finally got my attention. And finally, I put myself down and looked at him and says, what do you mean you have two si sisters? No, I have two sisters. You had a baby dying in your tummy. And I just looked at him like, well, how do you know you have two sisters? Well, she told me. And then he proceeded to describe her. She looked like Cassie, but she had brown hair. And first time when she saw me, she just came up and hugged me. We knew this was true because he said, she kept hugging me. She wouldn't stop hugging me, Mom, and I didn't like that. Well, I'm not really the hugging type. I had miscarried the weekend of Father's Day weekend, which made it even rougher. And we thought we'd dealt with it. We got over, we accepted that the baby had died. But when he said he had two sisters, I was... I think I was in shock first and then trying to realize, what is he telling me? And so I knew that he had seen her, and after he described her, he said, she's just, she just waiting for you guys to come to heaven. You know, as we talked about heaven, and he was telling me all these wonderful details, I just felt like I had to ask him, did he want to come back? I knew that I was leaving heaven because Jesus came to me and said, Colton, you need to go back. 
Even though I didn't want to go back, he said that he was answering my dad's prayer. I remember that prayer. That irreverent, that disrespectful, screaming at God prayer. <laughs> I was like, he's answering that prayer? Today, Colton is a healthy 11-year-old and shares his heavenly journey with boldness. I learned that heaven is for real and you're going to like it. I learned that heaven is real. Yeah. Well, there's someone who uh, certainly believes that he's been to heaven. He's come back and he's uh, here to tell you you're going to like it. <laughs> it's uh, very useful to know you're going to like it. It's uh, the most important question that we'll end up asking. Uh, where do you want to spend the rest of your eternity? The wonderful thing is God's actually made it possible for us all to spend it where we want to go. But we get to choose, and we have to choose now. We can't choose then. We've got to choose now. You know, if you want to go see, a, a, if you want to go to a grand final next Sunday, although I'm, I'm really over football <laughs> next Saturday, really over football. <laughs> yeah, all the West Australian teams are out of. But the truth is, you've got to make a booking, don't you? You can't, if you want to show up the gates at the MCG next week, you're probably not going to get in. You need to make your booking. And so it's so vital that we understand that the most important thing here on planet Earth is to actually make certain that I have made that personal commitment to Christ myself and that I try and take as many people with me as I can. And that is why we are still here. My daughter was saying to me the other day, you know, she's saying, oh, Dad, you know, really so proud of you in many ways and all the rest. But she says, you know, I'm not suicidal or anything like that, but, you know, I really can't see the point of life anymore. You know, wouldn't heaven be better? I think she's probably got a point. <laughs> probably got a point. So, yeah, but the problem is if God was to come now and to fix everything, that's, that's everybody. That's our uncles, that's our aunties, that's, the, that's your school friends, and they then go to spend a lost eternity away from God. And so every breathing moment that you and I possess is God's grace to allow us to bring one more into the kingdom of God. And there is a finite number somewhere, probably on planet Earth today, I believe exists the last soul that will say yes to Jesus. There's probably the Antichrist too on the planet Earth somewhere. But at that moment, when that last soul says yes to Jesus, they could even be here today. That's where it's at. God is going to just persevere until a certain point of time. And when that clock strikes midnight, it's over, man. And then will come the new age and the new kingdom and the millennium and all those wonderful things. And thank God that the kingdom of God will come to this earth and peace and righteousness will reign. Hallelujah for that day. But until then, you and I have a job to do. And that is to try and take as many people with us as we can. And so if I can ask you today to just make a really tight fist in your hand like that. And then make it as tight as you can, almost like, like it's hurting. And then I just want you to relax it a bit. Just relax it a bit. I think for many of us, we're hanging so tight onto the stuff of this world, 
the concerns of this world, the riches of this world, the temptations and the trials of this world, and we just need to relax and let it go. I think at the moment we do that, it will be amazing then what God will put into our hands. We just let God, let that stuff go, let the other stuff come. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't been praying recently for the people in your sphere of influence, start praying for them. And, you know, the way I work is I very rarely witness to someone spontaneously these days. Um, I find that most times that's something. But what I'll do is I'll throw in a little seed. I'll throw in a little clue or something like that. Now, if I get a reaction to that, then I'll take it a little bit more. So, you know, I work on the service station attendants and those sorts of people like that. But what I do do is I say, God, I pray that you'll give me an opportunity this day to open up an opportunity to share the gospel with someone. And so I try to be spirit-led in that. So I just don't take a machine gun approach and just go bang, 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 bang and preach the gospel to everyone. I've sort of got radar going, ping, ping. And I'm hoping that person is. What I want to just do is encourage today as a church, why don't you start praying for some of the people that you really love, that you really care for, that you want to see in heaven? Because it's, it, it's pretty permanent when it all happens. And then just ask for God for opportunities. So if that conversation opens up, send them a card, I'm thinking of you. Pick up the phone, uh, text them, Facebook them, whatever you do, and just ask for God to create an opportunity. Is that okay? Do that? Well, Ohana means family, and family means that no one is forgotten and no one is left behind. And with that, I'm going to ask Bob Lane to just close the service and just present the gospel. Where are you, Bob? He was here. If I miss the rapture, I'm going to be so peeved. (laughs) If Bob got there and I didn't... (laughs) He was there. I, I, I normally wouldn't do that. He just disappeared on me. I um, we uh, rec- on th- on Tuesday night, uh, just gone. I, I I was unfortunately so ill, wasn't able to go to it. But we had uh, two Muslim imams from um, Indonesia come to Perth and uh, just share their story. One of these guys was a bomb maker for Islam Amir. And he had a guy working alongside him uh, and uh, he, he, he was befriended by a Christian missionary working in the area. And the missionary prayed, says, well, I'll pray that your bombs won't explode. And uh, so they'd make a bomb that wouldn't explode. They'd bring it back to the compound and the thing would explode. They kept on doing that for a while. Eventually, this guy says, well, this Jesus might be interesting. And he's gotten saved. And uh, he, he runs a very large mosque. He's still, he's still a Muslim mullah, an imam in Indonesia. And he can preach to 75,000 people on any given Friday at Mass. And he's telling them all about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I think God's up to something in the world today. Don't let the pessimism of the world get into you. God's afoot. He's alive on planet Earth. And fantastic things are happening and stuff. So thank you, Bob. There's there's your microphone. Just share the gospel.
hear what I'm saying? Okay. It's just incredible to think about heaven and what we saw there. And uh, I guess uh, even non-believers basically think that, hey, uh, when I go, I'm going to go to heaven. And uh, when you talk about that to somebody, um, when my mother died, in fact, um, I, I talked to the she was unsaved. I talked to the nurses who were attending her and um, was talking about that sort of thing and, and basically said, if you don't receive Jesus Christ as Savior, then you will go to hell. And that's pretty confronting. And they got angry with me. They said, you can't say that. You can't say that. But you know that's the actual truth, that without Jesus Christ, people are dying and going to hell. It's not a game. It's a reality. If heaven is real, then is hell real? Hell is real. And hell is the place where people who do not receive Jesus Christ as Savior go. And, you know, I, I can hope that somehow during the time when my mother was dying that she prayed or, and that type of thing. We prayed for her. Um, but the reality is what I've just said. So consider that. Again, with witnessing, as Mike has said, and all those sort of things, people out there are dying and going to hell. So if you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is very confronting for me to say this to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, you're going to go to hell when you die. If you've not received him, you don't do that. That's very confronting, but that's the absolute truth. So we're going to pray now, and if you've not received Jesus Christ as Savior, take this prayer as your personal prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that if I don't receive you, that I'm going to go to hell. And so with that in mind, I come to you as the only Savior. I pray, God, that I can receive you as my Savior. And as our pastor Mike has said, have this life-changing experience with you, God that changes my life from going that wrong direction and points me back towards you and that you do save me. I receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior right now. If that's you today, if you need to say that, I receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior today, then I encourage you to do that. And I encourage you right now, if, you've never, if you're doing that for the first time today, you put your hand up to show me that it's you, nobody's looking around. So if that's you today, first time decision, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Not just because you don't want to go to hell, but because the reality is that God loves you and cares for you and wants you to go to heaven. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I was talking to one of my atheist friends once, and he um, he wasn't saying this in a challenging way. He was just being honest, just being open and honest. And he said, you know, like, if I was a Christian and I knew that, you know, without Jesus, people would go to hell, I'd be telling everyone I know about Jesus, you know, because I don't want them to go there. And that was confronting, you know, uh, in the same way this morning, you know, it was confronting that. That's the reality, isn't it? 
But the good news, you know, we need to share the good news. The good news is that Jesus came to die in our place. That is the good news. And that's what we want to share. We want to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Mike, for the word this morning. Uh, We'd just like to invite the band up for a closing closing song. Um, Yeah, and I encourage you guys. And I, I I was encouraged and I was challenged this morning as well.